0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So we are going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 6, 1 Samuel chapter 6. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that your word is sure. And we do thank you for your Holy Spirit tonight. And I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. And I pray that you would guide and direct the service, that you would bless every servant on the campus. Use him or her, Lord, for your glory we pray, Lord, that wherever your word is taught, Lord, whether it's in a sanctuary or in a classroom tonight, we pray that your word will go forth, not return void. And I do pray for the gift of teaching, Father, and that I would decrease and you increase. And may we all leave this place better than when we came, Father, all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So first Samuel chapter six. That's what we're going to study tonight, and the title of the message is Keep the Lid On. Keep the Lid On. Now, the Philistines had defeated the Israelites, and of course, they took the Ark of the Covenant, which the Israelites thought would ensure their victory. And remember the Ark of God. Remember, it's a sacred chest. That was made of wood and overlaid with gold. And remember, as I shared a couple weeks ago, that that it contained the pot of manna, a golden pot of manna. It also contained Aaron's rod that budded and it contained the law of God written on the two tablets of stone. So, again, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant that the Philistines took away. Now, while the ark was with the Philistines, we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Lord's hand of judgment upon them. It was heavy upon the people. And so the Philistines passed the ark of the covenant, the ark of the Lord from city to city because they were trying to find some relief, trying to find release from God's judgment upon them. But every Philistine city that the Ark of the Covenant went to, every one of those cities experienced the heavy hand of God's judgment. And so we continue with the narrative or the story in verse 1 of First Samuel 6. And the word tells us in verse 1, it says, Now the ark of the Lord was in the country or territory of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners. These are their priests and their diviners. And they were saying, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. Don't send it without a gift, in other words. But by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering or a guilt offering. And it will serve as a compensation for their offense, how they offended the Lord God. But it continues in verse 3. These diviners and priests, they will go on to say, then you will be healed. And it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? That is to God. And they being the priests and diviners answered five golden tumors and five golden rats according to the number of the lords or rulers of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand, that is, his hand of judgment from you, from your gods, and from your land. And so the Ark of the Covenant has been in Philistine territory for once again seven months. And remember, according to chapter 5, his hand of judgment was on the people in their territory during those seven months. It was a seven-month period. I want to emphasize that. And so we see in this lesson that the Philistines would consult with their priests. They would consult with their diviners or wise men in order to find out what to do with the ark of the Lord. And we are reminded by the fact that their advice was to send the ark of the Lord back to Israel's territory, along with a trespass offering, which, remember, included five golden tumors and five golden rats. Now, according to one source, it was customary in some ancient cultures to make replicas of injured or diseased body parts as offerings to gods for healings. And, of course, that's speaking of idol gods, these false gods. And as I shared a little bit last week, the mentioning of these rats along with these tumors, it, of course, suggests that there's some type of connection between them. That is, once again, between the rats and the tumors. And so it has led many Bible scholars and believers to believe that the plague they were hit with was the bubonic plague. And this plague, by the way, is named for the characteristic feature of buboes, which are painfully enlarged lymph nodes. And so these buboes, called tumors here in the lesson, is they would appear in the groin, in the armpits, neck, and maybe even elsewhere on the person's body who was infected. And this bubonic plague was transmitted to humans, mainly by the bite of a flea that has bitten an infected rodent. And so that's why uh, many Bible scholars believe that they suffer from the bubonic plague. When it talks about those tumors, it's talking, it's talking about those, those swollen buboes or enlarged lymph nodes. But after giving their advice, the Philistines priests and wise men stated, get this, after giving their advice, they say, perhaps he will lighten his hand. Perhaps if you if you do this, if you... If you send the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel's territory, along with the golden tumors and the golden rats, perhaps, maybe he will lighten his hand. I don't know about you tonight. I don't know about you who are viewing the service tonight and have joined us that way, but I don't need a perhaps type of word. I don't need a maybe when it comes to how to relate to God. I don't need a perhaps when it comes to talking about being forgiven of my sins. You see, we need something that is sure. We need a sure word from God, something that is a certainty, something like what we see in Ephesians 1, uh, uh, verse 7, where it says, In Him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption. Through what? Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's not a perhaps thing. That is a sure thing. That is a sure word from God. So if I want to know if my freedom was purchased, that is freedom from sin and the penalty of it was purchased. If I want to know, I look to the sure word of God and I see here once again in Ephesians 1 verse 7 that in Jesus we have redemption. He paid the ransom for us to set us free, and it was, of course, through His blood. And yes, it's a sure thing that we have the forgiveness of sins, and that is available to anybody who repents and put their faith in Jesus Christ, God's God, begot- the Father's begotten Son, and begotten means unique. There is none other like Jesus Christ. Because he is God, a very God. That means he has the same nature as God the Father. So in essence, Jesus is God, just like the Father is God and the Holy Spirit is God. But we only serve one God, not three separate. And this is the mystery of the Trinity, the triunity of the God in the Bible. And in verse 6, it continue, It continues in First Samuel chapter six, it says, why then? And remember, these are the priests and the diviners, these wise men, they're still speaking. They say, why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh harden their hearts? Notice that we hear a lot of times. So the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and it does say that. But we skip over the verses that says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so as judgment or in judgment, God was strengthening his position. Okay, you want to harden your heart. You want to be stubborn. Okay, well, I will strengthen you in your position and I'll harden your heart as well. But, but notice here that here is just focusing on the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardening their own hearts, being stubborn. And So why then do you harden your hearts as they did? And it says, when he did mighty things. Among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? Mighty things, of course, if we remember the narrative, or if we remember the story, being those 10 plagues. You See, these Philistine priests and diviners, they, they wanted the Philistines to learn from the Egyptians and to learn from Pharaoh. You see, back then, uh, things didn't end well for Pharaoh and the Egyptians and or his people. But, of course, the scriptures tell us, and we see it here even in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 6, that they did eventually let the people go. And so we can learn something from what the diviners and and these priests said to their fellow Philistines. And the thing we can learn from them is to learn from other people's mistakes. To learn from the sins of other people. There's no reason for us to follow in the sins of others when we see the terrible consequences that came along with that. For example, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, he would encourage the Corinthian believers to, to learn from the sins of the Israelites in the Old Testament and to also learn from their consequences that they face. See what it says there in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, it says, Now all these things happened to them as examples. It's the Holy Spirit giving this inspired word to the Apostle Paul. And again, he's writing this. And he says that as you pay attention to those things, Old testament that happened to the Israelites. He says that they were written for our admonition. They were written to warn us. Or to instruct us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so just like these Philistine rulers, these Philistine people were to learn from the Egyptians and Pharaoh who was their king. were to learn from the mistakes and the consequences of those mistakes and sins of the Israelites in the Old Testament. And also from people that we know. That we can look at around us and we see certain things that they did and it didn't quite work out. And they were chastised and they were judged. And, and some people's lives were cut short because of those bad cons- or those bad uh, sins or mistakes that they made. Some people's lives, yes, were cut short. For example, with, with, with drug use and, and alcoholism and drunk driving, all these things. See, we shall learn from people's sins and consequences. And in verse 7, it says, now, therefore, make a new cart. They're still giving this advice here. And take two milk cows or cows who are still nursing their calves, which have never been yoked. And hitch the cows to this cart, that is this new cart. And take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold, which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go and watch. If it goes up the road to his own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done, God has done, their God has done this great evil What great evil, those tumors, those plagues that we saw in 1 Samuel 5. And it says, but if not, in other words, if it does not go up the road to Beth Shemesh in its own territory, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Now Beth Shemesh is or it was in the territory of Judah which was in southern Israel, the southern part of Israel. And the scriptures tell us that Beth Shemesh was actually a priestly city because according to Joshua 21 verses 13 through 16, it was given to the children of Aaron, the priests. And remember, in order to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. And then on top of that, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. And so once again, Beth Shemesh was a priestly city given to the children of Aaron. And so send this thing, send the Ark of the Covenant and send uh, those those five golden rats and the five golden tumors that's in the chest next to the Ark of the Covenant, send those away back to his territory. And so these Philistine priests, they, they gave them more instructions on how to, overcome this plague that they've been experiencing so once again if that cart carrying the ark of the lord went to Beth Shemesh then it will be proof it will be proof to the Philistines that God had brought the plagues upon them however if you read closely there in that last sentence they still thought that there was a possibility or a possibility that the tumors happened to them by chance. They still thought it was a possibility of that. And I just wonder tonight, how, how many people miss out on opportunities to repent and put their faith in God only because they think that the consequence or the chastisement or judgment that they face was not from God, but they think it was perhaps... A, a consequence, or just just a coincidence, something that happened by chance. Oh, I'm living the way I want to live, and and yes, I face this chastisement, I face this judgment, and yes, this consequence is bad that I'm suffering, but. But yet and still, maybe it happened by chance because God really wouldn't do that to me. He is a God of love, right? That that couldn't possibly be the Christian God that you talk about to allow this thing to happen in my life. And so maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's by chance. And, and with that type of thinking, they miss out on an opportunity to respond to What God is trying to do. He's trying to get their attention. And so he's allowing, once again, these attention getters, so to speak, to come into their lives, to wake up. And unfortunately, some people have to hit rock bottom before they finally look up and do repent or turn from their sins and turn to God. And that is, of course, through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the man in verse 10 These Philistines, they listened to the priests, their priests, and their diviners' advice, and they did so, and they took two milk cows, and they hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home, and they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and images of their tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing or mooing as some people would say as they went and these two milk cows they did not turn aside to the right hand or the left and the lords or these rulers of the philistines they went after them they followed them to the border of beth shemesh of course in israel's territory and because these cows headed straight for the road to beth shemesh it proved of course that these tumors indeed came from the Lord. And that's because when, when you think about those calves, remember the calves were separated from, the, from these milk cows. When you think about that, and you think about these milk cows' natural instincts, you see, their natural instincts would have been to, to go back to their calves, go back to their babies, But they didn't do that. And so this tells you that God was involved. And it's interesting because we see that the animal kingdom here is obeying the Lord. They they didn't go to the right or to the left. And I wonder about us. Because sometimes we see the animals obey the Lord more than we do. We we even seen that with with the donkey in the Old Testament. The donkey was speaking. We even seen that. We we see these things. We, We we see even seen it in some of the plagues with the frogs and things like that and the flies. And so I wonder if at times animals are more obedient than we are. And so indeed these these tumors were from the Lord. Because these cows, once again, they ignored their natural instincts to return to their calves. And now the people of Beth Shemesh, they were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley in the valley in verse 13. And they lifted their eyes and they saw the ark and they rejoiced to see it. I mean, they haven't seen it in seven months. Because remember, they said that the glory of God had had departed from them. God's presence had departed from them his manifest presence and so yes they rejoiced to see that ark and then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there and a large stone was there and so they split the wood of the cart and they offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord and the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and, and the chest that was with it in which were the articles of gold, and they put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. And so, in verse 16, when the five lords or rulers of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron, to, to one of their cities, on that same day. They were like, woo, okay, we got this off of our hands. Let's go back home. And so these people of Beth Shemesh, they see these articles of gold and they they see the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines, these rulers, they think they got rid of their main problem. Oh, the Ark of the Covenant is back in Israelite territory. Our main problem is going to be taken care of. All of these tumors. And so maybe... Maybe those tumors, maybe their plagues did get healed. I'm not totally sure. But one thing I know is that the illness, the physical illness was not their main problem. Because their main problem is that they didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And so um, this is something that I'm inferring. Because it doesn't necessarily say that they started believing in the God of Israel. They just did their thing. They, they sent the ark back, sent it with the articles of gold, those golden rats and tumors, and they went back. And so presumably they, they went back as sinners. And it's like that today. Many people today are no different. And I was one of these people, so I could speak on it without looking down on anybody else. You see, there's some people who come to church services as unbelievers. And then they leave the church service as an unbeliever. And what happens is they think they did okay by showing their face at church, by by using a few religious words. Oh, yeah, God bless you, or I'm having a blessed day. God is great. God is love. Well, throw out these terms, these phrases, show their faces and think that was it. Think that that was the main issue. Oh, God, maybe I wasn't blessed enough. Maybe I wasn't blessed financially. Maybe my illness wasn't healed, or maybe I'm feeling bad emotionally. Maybe it's because I didn't go to church. Or could the main issue be just like the main issue that I presume these Philistines had, that they didn't really have a relationship with the Lord? And so many people, they think that punching a clock will get them into heaven. But, but that's not what gets us into heaven. We need a personal relationship with the Lord. And, and so it's not about doing good works. There's even some people who get baptized in water, but they never put their faith in Christ because they think that the water baptism somehow, some way will will give them a ticket into heaven. You see, but water baptism is for saved people. It doesn't save people. That's the work of the blood of Christ. He paid the price for our salvation. And the scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're saved by grace through faith and so salvation is a gift it's not something that we earn it's not something that we deserve but we receive it by faith not by going to church not by knowing another christian not by just reading a few verses it's do you have a personal relationship with jesus and so we need to start dealing with the main issues. Even some of us as Christians, we, we look at people who are living a sinful lifestyle. And, and, and the first thing we want to harp on is, you guys need to stop doing that sin. But here's the thing, they have no power to stop doing that sin. You guys need to change your lives, but they don't have any power to change their lives. So you know what we should be saying to them? We should be dealing with the main issue. We we should be sharing the gospel with them saying, hey, you know that God loves you. You know that the Bible says that we are all sinners and we're deserving of hell. We're deserving of death, but Jesus took our place and we could tell these people. So guess what? Uh, That salvation is a gift. And if you repent and put your faith in him, then you're going to be a citizen of heaven. Then you're going to be a child of God. Then you'll have a relationship with God, the father, the invisible God. Then you have a relationship with this Jesus that we always talk about. This Jesus that we praise, that we lift our hands to and surrender. Because we're so grateful of that sacrifice. We're so grateful uh, of that resurrection. Because the resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection tells us that because he was raised from the dead, so will we. And Jesus says, because I live, you're going to live too. Because we're associated with him. And those of us who are in Christ, the scriptures tell us that there is no condemnation. That guilt is no longer held over our heads anymore. Because when the father sees us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus. He sees us as if we were the ones who uh, performed his word perfectly, whereas with Jesus, he's the one who performed or obeyed the word of God perfectly. And so the credit that belongs to Jesus is applied to us. And we are justified. We're no longer guilty. And in fact, we have a right standing with God as the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. It's an imputed righteousness that we have. And so our standing is a standing of righteousness. And so that's what we should be telling people. Oh, not that you, oh, just, just start living a new lifestyle. No, they need power. In order to get that power, they need Jesus. In order to get that power, they need the Holy Spirit to indwell them and mold them and shape them into the image of Christ. We can't tell people to, hey, start living your best life now. Just do it in your own strength. No, there's no way that you can reach your full potential in Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ. There's no way you can live your full potential in Jesus Christ and be all that he wants you to be without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to start keeping the main thing, the main thing. Oh, and I wonder if the Philistines at that time did that. If they kept the main thing, the main thing, or if they were just focusing on the physical tumors and sicknesses. All the way that some people do, yet they, they remain unbelievers. But they think that, oh, just punching the clock. My physical health, finances, that's the main thing. And these are the golden tumors in verse 17, which the Philistines return as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, and one for Gath, one for Ekron. And these are the five cities of the Philistines. And this also says in the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities, that is protected cities, and the unwalled country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh? And then he, that is God, struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into, they looked inside the ark of the Lord. And it says he struck 50,070 men of the people and the people lamented because the Lord has struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, who was able to stand before or in the presence of this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? They, they just got the Ark of the Covenant and they're willing to pass it on again. Now, in regard to that number there in verse 19, 70 men of the people, you may have some things in your margins and, and I just want to uh, park there and and just share some thoughts with you because some Bible versions say not 50,000 and 70 men of the people were struck, but some Bible versions say, depending on what version you have, it may say 70 men or 70 persons instead of 50,000 and 70. And one Bible version says the AC. S.B., for example, says that he struck down 70 men out of 50,000 men. But now in regard to the Hebrew grammar, that the Hebrew grammar could mean that out of 50,000 men, God struck 70 of them. So that would go along with the A.C.S.B. Now, there are a few Hebrew manuscripts that do line up with the number 70 as in some of these other versions, like the NLT, ESV, and the CSB. But most Hebrew manuscripts read 70 men, 50,000 men. And yet, and in still, in, in some versions in the footnotes, it'll, it'll perhaps say that the Lord killed 70 men and 50 oxen. So which number is correct? Is it the 50,070 men or is it the 70 men out of 50,000? What is it? Well, I kind of like what one pastor says, the pastor John Corson. I like what he said. He he said, and and I could have said this myself, but it was so good that I just transferred it over to my paper and I'm going to give him credit for it. But this is what he said. He says, I believe that 50,070 died because verse 19 tells us that it was a great slaughter. That's a good point. That phrase great slaughter suggests that it was a large number like 50,070, like it says in the New King James. And he said, he goes on to say that in this story of the ark, we saw 4,000 slain in 1 Samuel 4, 2. And 30,000 slain in 1 Samuel 4.10. And he says, in comparison to those figures, the deaths of 70 men would hardly constitute a great slaughter. And so a very good point, a very good argument that 50,000 and 70 men of the people in Beth Shemesh were struck down. But also in regard to these men in in this city... I like the question that they ask because it's a good question that they ask in verse 20. And the question is when, when they were struck down, is who was able to stand before this holy Lord God? And that's a good question because we know that no one, in his or her own merits, can stand before a holy God. We're spiritually bankrupt. In fact, we can't have a right standing with God unless we're in Jesus and, and we use his good credit. And so no one can stand before the holy God. Because all have sin and fall short of his glory. Romans 3.23. And so in verse 21 of 1st uh, Samuel 6 it says so they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath Jearim see they trying to pass the ark on and they were saying the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord come down and take it up with you that's kind of cold blooded cuz they just told them that the ark was there but they didn't tell them what happened they didn't t- they didn't tell them about the plagues and and how the Lord had struck them it just seems here like, hey, a happy situation. Come get it. <laughs> you know, and Kerjath-Jerim, by the way, was a, was a city in Israel's territory. And so it was on the northern boundary of Judah. Remember, Judah was a territory in the southern area of Israel. And it was also on the western and southern boundaries of the territory of Benjamin. This is where Kerjath-Jerim was. And it was about 10 miles northeast of Beth Shemesh, which we've been talking about in our study. And so what we saw in the study tonight, what we saw in this lesson is that these men, these men of Beth Shemesh, they, they looked inside something that was forbidden to look into. In fact, they weren't even supposed to look at it. But of course, they took it a step further. They looked into it. And the reason I say that they weren't even supposed to look at it is because whenever the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord was outside of the tabernacle. It was to be covered with three layers of cloth and leather. And it was never to be seen or touched by anyone. But yet and still, these men of Beth Shemesh, they they would take the liberty They they would take the freedom, so-called freedom, to do what they wanted to do while they were dealing with our holy God. And in order for them to look inside the ark, something obvious had to take place. It meant that they would have had to remove the mercy seat to look into it. To look into something God considered holy and sacred. You see that mercy seat was was made of pure gold. That that mercy seat you can think of as a holy lid. And on the mercy seat, by reminder, I know this is a refresher for some of you. There was a cherub, an angelic figure on each side of the lid or mercy seat. And and their wings were outstretched, and they faced each other, and they looked down on the mercy seat. They looked down on that holy lid, so to speak. And remember, in our last study, we talked about how God at times would, would speak from above the mercy seat. And that it served as a picture of God speaking from his throne. And even today, because many people may be criticizing these men of Beth Shemesh for looking into it. And yes, we know that they're not supposed to do that. But, but even today, some people take the liberty to do with God's stuff what they will. In other words, what I'm, what I'm saying is that, that some people take the liberty to intrude into God's box. To intrude into his area of authority, and to intrude into his prerogative, that his divine right. Some people will use their liberty, their so-called liberty, to to peek into, and as a matter of fact, to lift the lid off of what belongs to God. You see, some people, they take the lid off of the boundaries of the word of God in order to, quote-unquote, look into it For the purpose of eisegesis. You see, what we want to do as believers is something called exegesis. In other words, when when we get our doctrine or what we believe about God and and every spiritual thing, we want to pull out. We want to exegete. We want to to use that method, exegesis, to pull out from the text and, and allow the text to shape our doctrine and our beliefs. Oh, some people, though, they, they, they take the lid off the boundaries of the word of God so they can perform what's called eisegesis. And it's a method of interpreting the scriptures subjectively. That, that means they, they interpret the scriptures according to their own ideas, not according to the purpose of God. You see, as we study the scriptures And we look at these various verses, God means for it to be one main interpretation. But of course, there could be many applications. And so I could teach the same set of verses next year. And when it comes to the things that we see on black and white on paper, in context, those things are going to be, they're going to remain the same one interpretation, but the application points that God gives me may be different. And so one interpretation, but many applications, but we want to exegete, we want to use a method called exegesis, pull from the text, but no, 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 people want to perform a method called eisegesis. And and we see that today, even some politicians use this method and some so-called preachers and theologians and other Christians or maybe Christian in name, they would perform eisegesis. I want to bring my own ideas to it and, and bring my own understanding to it. You see, there's some, there's some scriptures that people don't understand. And so they want to make up. Yes, they want to make up these doctrines. They want to make up these explanations that fit their mindsets. Reading into the text. And you know, it reminds me of something that I learned in one of my Bible courses, my Bible college courses. And, and, and he talked about there was this group of 70 scholars made up of Jews that were made up of Catholics, Protestants, atheists, and filmmakers. And they were based in Sonoma, California in the mid-1980s. And they formed what was called the Jesus Seminar. And the Jesus Seminar was a think tank. It, 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 was, a, it was a group that thought of new ideas. But the interesting thing about the Jesus Seminar, as I named those groups of people that came together, is that there were no conservative or fundamental Bible believing evangelicals on board. See, the Jesus Seminar, they would go on to publish a book called The Five Gospels, and it was supposed to show what Jesus really said. <laughs> You're alive like 2,000 years after the fact, and all of a sudden you want to go back and tell Jesus what he said. And, And the way they got there, they arrived at what Jesus really said is that they voted on it. Eisegesis. You see, they were lifting the lid off of God's holy word, and they were looking into it for the purpose of interpreting it and changing it to what they wanted. And see, this is how we end up with cults and false doctrine and false religions. And and if we have cults, false doctrines and false religions, guess what it's going to lead to? It's going to lead to false living. But we know as believers, many of us believe in this building tonight that the lid is closed on his sacred or holy word. God determines what belongs to on these pages. He determines what belongs in the canon of scripture. And so the lid is closed on his holy word and man has no right to open, quote unquote, the lid. You see, whatever God said, it is God's business. And so we will be good to just leave God's stuff alone. But then there's some things that God allows to happen that we don't understand. And so we talked about, first of all, the lid of God's word. But then there's some experiences, some things that God allows to happen or he brings into our lives. And so some people, so to speak, lift the lid off of those experiences and and they make up explanations of these things. And the word of God doesn't even tell you why you're experiencing that. What is this that you're going through? But sometimes we just make up, oh, this is, what, this is what's going on here. Sometimes we end up giving false counsel. And I would say this to that when it comes to keeping the lid on, his, on, on the experiences that only God truly knows about. He knows the purposes for them. And to that I would say why, why God allows or does what he does is once again his business. It is the business of the holy God, and we have no right to lift the lid off of that and add our own purposes to it. And yes, there's many things that we want to know why. We have questions, and, and that brings me to some lyrics in a song, and, and I'm not going to sing the song. I never do, but the lyrics say, By and by when the morning comes, when the saints of God are gathered home, will tell the story of how we've overcome, for we'll understand it better by and by. And so for those of us who are wondering the whys and for some people who are trying to lift the lid off of the purpose of why God allows these experiences, what would be good to remember the words of this song? Because this song talks about how we'll understand the whys, the reasons for our tests and trials that we experience on earth. It tells us that we'll understand them better in eternity. And that's what by and by means. It's talking about a future time or occasion. So keep the lid on those purposes that that, that are just for God. Only he truly knows. See, only God knows. And he revealed what he wanted to reveal in his word and in his circumstances. You see, in Deuteronomy 29:29, 29, 29, Moses here is, is speaking with the children of Israel, and he's telling them to keep the words of the covenant, which, if they do them, they'll prosper. And then he ends the chapter by saying this, in Deuteronomy 29:29, 29, 29, he says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. I know you're trying to be nosy and and looking into my stuff and and trying to put words into my mouth about the purposes of this experience that you're going through. But that the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And so it's saying let. Let God deal with his stuff with his business and whatever's revealed to you that's your business you do it and so as we think about this lesson tonight it's 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 all about reverence it's all about respect for the lord and so if we keep the lid on god's stuff in other words we respect god to the point that we don't bother what lies under his responsibility and we won't bother what lies under his prerogative if we respect him that much then we won't scrutinize we won't add or take away from his word we won't add or take away from the purposes that he really has for experiences in our lives god why are we going through this coronavirus and all this stuff why are we going through all these political changes and, and all these things that we're experiencing in this world? Well, maybe is, and we begin to put words in God's mouth. But that's God's stuff. And it's, it's all about reverence. And if we reverence God and keep the lid on his stuff, then it'll lead to right living. As the worship team takes the stage. And so the final thought of tonight, if you don't remember anything else tonight. The word I want to leave you with is to let God be God. In other words, don't overstep the boundary between our responsibility and God's responsibility and authority. In other words, keep the lid on the box. This is his area of expertise. And we need to just focus on doing our part. And those of you who are looking for a couple of points to write down, here's one. Because you may be asking, so, so what is our part? You mentioned God's part. It's his word. He truly knows the purposes of experience. You mentioned that, that that's his box and we keep the lid on it. We let God be God. You mentioned that, but what is our part that we're supposed to focus on? And and number one is to fall back on what he's revealed. Oh yeah, there are many things that we don't understand why we go through certain things, why we go through certain things for so long? How come we pray for somebody for so long and so intensely, but yet and still, Lord, we don't see any changes. That person, they read their Bible every day. They come to church every Sunday. I see their faces every Wednesday. They're online looking at various services. All they listen to is worship music in the car. But yet and still, they're going through what they're going through. Lord, why is that happening? Well, we don't always have the whys. We don't always have the reasons. But we can fall back on what he's revealed. And what he's revealed is that he is good. What he's revealed that he is holy. What he's revealed is that he is righteous. What he's revealed is that he is love. He's revealed that he is a merciful and a gracious God. These are things that he revealed. What he's revealed is that he's going to work all things together for good to those who who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. These are things that he's revealed. But what else, Darrell? You said a couple of points, right? This is our part as well. We walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, we don't have to be nosy and look into God's stuff. But yes, we walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I know you said this in your word. Oh, I don't see the full result of it, Lord, but I trust you. Well, I know you say that you're going to send... Jesus back, that Jesus is coming back for the church and I haven't experienced it yet. I thought he was going to come back in 1980. I thought he was going to come back last year, Lord. I thought Jesus was going to come back yesterday. Some people may have thought. We walk by faith and not by sight. We just take him at his word. He's coming back. Oh, God, there's some needs that I have. Some needs that I have and. The neighbor's not helping me like they used to. This family member isn't helping me like they used to. But walk by faith, not by sight. Because the Lord tells us that he'll meet our every need. Jesus said in Matthew to first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. For those of us who are concerned about our needs. Take God at his word. Walk by faith. Not by sight. And so we don't have to know what's in the box all the time. We just let God be God. And just trust him. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you are to us, Lord. We praise you because you are holy. You are separate. You are not like any other. You're separate from your creation. You're separate from sin. You are pure. And we need to revere you as such, Father. So, forgive us, Lord, when we become too chummy with you. As I know you are, Heavenly Father, and we can say "Abba, Father." I know we are your children, Lord, and we talk about that personal relationship. But help us to also remember that you're not our equal. We praise you, Lord. We are so grateful that we serve a God who is holy, and although we don't know what's in the box all the time, or maybe not at all, we trust, Lord, that that you're going to work things out the way you will, Father. We trust, Lord, that you know what's best for us. And we praise you. Oh, Lord, we don't even know what's going to take place tomorrow. But, Lord, you've already seen tomorrow. And because of that, we can trust you. Oh, Father, I pray for anyone tonight who that they're just in that state of just frustration and wondering and just reaching out to sources, even some sources that are not even biblical, just to find a so-called word of hope, Lord. We, we pray for those people that you would help them to lay those things aside and to just trust you, Lord. And if it's not in your word, as far as what they're going through, why they're going through it, how long they're going through it, Lord, I pray that you would give them the ability, Lord, to just fall back on what they know about you and to walk by faith and not by sight. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If there's anybody who likes to see the Lord tonight, if you need prayer about anything, you can come up after service and we'll definitely be happy and just grateful to, to pray with you. And so be encouraged uh, this week. Just go out in the power of the Lord. Go out in his strength. Go out with a heart of expectancy, expecting him to tie up those loose ends, although you don't know how it's going to look. So thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for your prayers. May God bless you. May God keep you. And we love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word.